0: yeah good stuff excellent right good evening everyone welcome to the fourth and final uh Bologna advisors better world podcast of 2022 what a belting finale we have in store for you you lucky lucky people a superb cast of, of people have joined me over the next 30 minutes to attempt to make sense of what has been a barmy 2022 through their nominated heroes and villains whilst also attempting to gauge what on earth 2023 has in store for us and here's the world class panel that I've brought to you this evening. First and foremost, Katrina Riddell is a strategic planner and she's the only sensible person in Thames Ditton. Good evening, Katrina.
1: <laughs> I've never been entered just like that before. Yep. Hey.
0: <laughs> Secondly, we've got uh, John Stott, who is the newly minted group managing director of Ardent Management. Good evening, John.
2: Hi Ian. Good evening.
0: And finally, we have uh, Owen Michelson, who's president of Cavanti Europe, who are a global leader in the energy from waste sector. And he's part of an elite group of fellow comprehensive boys from Warrington that made good. <laughs> good evening, Owen. Evening, Ian. Uh, unfortunately, we're going to be joined by John Quinton Barber, but unfortunately, John isn't very well, unfortunately, this evening. So he'll be listening to this uh, uh, particular uh, podcast episode, presumably uh, tucked up in bed, uh, unfortunately, with the Lurgy. Um, but I will read out John's answers after uh, each of you have had your turns in terms of trying to make sense of 2022. So let's start with that then. So it's been a very, very bizarre year. But I'm trying to get some some um, heroes out of 2022. Probably fairly difficult exercise, but you're all up to the task. Katrina, I'm going to start with you. Who would you nominate as your hero of 2022 or heroes?
1: So I'm going to be cheeky and I'm going to go for two but they are linked um, and this was a really hard hard podcast to be involved in. I have to say because a lot of the time I just talk about planning and I usually know what I'm talking about when you ask this sort of who the heroes and villains are that it, I find it really hard so I ended up going with two Rory Stewart and Alistair Campbell um and do you want me to explain why or are you going to get into that later
0: no absolutely right I'd like you to explain why yeah each of you have to justify your choices
1: okay so my my reason is because there is just so much crap out there at the moment politically you never know where you stand and it's all very biased uh, social media doesn't help um and i think there their, their uh, the rest is politics podcast was pretty much my go to place to get some sense of what was happening in a much more, I guess, honest and real way. And you know, they, they, they both come from, they're both sort of centre politics, but one's left, one's right. And Rory obviously knows the real people that we hear about in the Tory party. And and um, Alistair knows a lot of the, the sort of the real people, I guess, it, it, the Labour party in terms of the, the real human side of it. So I think I, I put them down because it was the only place I actually felt that um, I was getting any sort of honest debate about politics in the world and and they even touched on planning and housing in one of their podcasts so they you know they cover a full spectrum so yeah a bit a bit lame but actually I thought they they deserved it.
0: I suspect that theme which is around truth in the media and establishing some kind of um what I just called call reasonable public discourse is going to be a key theme of this podcast, uh, given what I believe the uh, other two uh, respondents are going to say. I mean, I'll, I'll bring you in, Owen, uh, in that. I mean, obviously, you know, Katrina's gone with, with two political figures. Who would you go as your, your heroes of 2022?
3: Um, OK, yeah, heroes. I'll, ne- I'll actually name three. Um, first one, Barack Obama. Second one, Martin Lewis. Third one, Daniel Craig. And, uh, and actually just building on what Katrina is saying, the reason why I am naming Barack Obama, he's sort of out the spotlight at the moment. But, you know, uh, I don't know how many people on the podcast would have read his book. And if you if you've not read his books, please go and read them. They're, they're very inspirational. But to me, he epitomizes the reasons why people should go into politics. Um, you know, he came from a pretty humble background. He had a sort of, you know, hard start in life uh, in a in a country which, which wasn't supporting, very supportive of someone from his background. But you know, he had conviction. He got into politics. He could have made a huge amount of money by not going into politics. Very clever man, but he he he, he stood true to the cause and he went to the very top. And the reason why I'm still naming him as the hero, he is demonstrating how you should behave as an next president. You, know, you behave with dignity. You you allow the sort of uh, the safe and ordered transfer of power, and you know and, and maintain that dignity of the office. So that's that's my number one. Um, then uh, Martin Lewis, very simply, consumer champion. You know he's he's managed to convert into plain English and sort of push back on government and say, this is what is really hurting people. This is what you need to do to actually help people because so many times when you hear the politician speaking, it's always very theoretical about this theoretical person out there. The truth is there's real people out there and there's real impact on people. So it's just, it's, it's, it's being that consumer champion. And then the third one has got to be Daniel Craig. And you touched on this at the very, at the very beginning. Uh, I think Daniel's the same age as me. He also grew up in the Northwest, uh, and he's managed to achieve something I'd never done, which is to be a Hollywood movie star. Uh, i might have been involved at one point in uh, buying film studios but i've never made it onto the big screen as a movie so there's a, there's an element of jealousy there so there's my three heroes i'm pretty sure at
0: some point though we need to allow you to be a film extra at some stage but maybe not for your usual fee but we'll, we'll come on to that anyway so yeah so again another couple of political figures yeah i mean martin lewis by the way yeah I, I completely agree i think that yeah, he, he the way that he communicates with people in pretty plain terms about some very very challenging subjects yeah he's been he's been, he's been absolutely fantastic this year so i would have nominated him as one of mine in all honesty which then leaves you mr stott i mean where, where would you go in terms of uh the people who you think have risen above others this year
2: yeah thanks ian so i've got i've got a politician and i've got a couple of uh sports personalities as well so perhaps one that I, I wouldn't have uh, expected to have picked a couple of months ago, but my first one is Simon Clark MP, so Conservative MP for uh, for Middlesbrough and South and East Cleveland. So in a world where we're, we're obviously in a race to net zero, and we should be pushing as hard as possible to maximise energy generation from renewable energy sources, from my perspective, it's nothing short of a travesty that there's been a, a moratorium on onshore wind development in the UK or in England particularly since 2015. So we're, scientifically, we're one of the best placed countries in the world to generate onshore wind, but basically because a few a few NIMBYs have decided that the, these onshore wind turbines spoil their view, they're a bit of an eyesore. Um, it's meant that government's been happy to oversee this 94% decline in a number of new projects during the last seven years. So. Um, I suppose it's quite interesting that one of a few things, maybe even the only the only thing that Liz, Liz Truss got, got right during her brief premiership was to, to move to try and overturn the moratorium. But then uh, Rishi came into town and, and he decided to, to retain the ban. But until that was, my, my hero, Simon Clark came along and he tabled an amendment to the, the levelling up and regeneration bill just last month, just two or three weeks ago, which provided for onshore wind farms to be developed, whether it's community support for them. So, that amendment was supported by quite a large number of Conservative MPs, including Liz Truss and Boris Johnson. And it's resulted in a government U turn, um, such that it will now shortly, the government will shortly begin consulting to determine exactly how local authorities can show local support has been determined. So, it's not quite where I'd like to see us in terms of onshore wind development, but it's a really big step in the right direction from what we've seen in the last seven years. And uh, yeah, maybe it's resulted in a, in a bit of a surprise entry as Simon Clark being one of my heroes of 2022. But I couldn't feel comfortable with myself if my only hero was a Conservative MP, I don't think. So um, I'm also picking Leah Williamson. Um, Leah Williamson, so, so she, as you may, you, I'm sure you'll know, Ian, as a, as a footy fan, she was the, the heroic England Lioness captain who, who led them to the Euro 22, 2022 title earlier this year as a, as a father of a five-year-old daughter. It's been really, really good to see the number of um, the number of young girls who've got into football in the last six months or so. My daughter started playing at a local club just before the Euros kicked off, and there were probably I don't know, maybe five or ten girls who were sort of between five and nine years old who were playing at the time. It rose week on week through the Euros to the point whereby, by the time England won, I think there were thirty odd, forty people, forty girls turning up to this this uh, nightly, this this weekly weekly football practice. And that's continued. So it's uh, it's good to see the sort of legacy that's, uh, that's being created there. So she goes down as one of my heroes. And as a massive cricket fan, I've got to say Ben Stokes as well. He's obviously, uh, along along with uh, Brandon McCullum. he's turned Test cricket on its head and turned England from, uh, well, the, the terrible position they were in back in uh, March, April of this year in the West Indies to probably to be the, the leading Test playing nation in the world. So from my perspective, Ben Stokes has got to go down as a as a hero as well.
0: Yeah, another unbelievable performance from the England cricket team earlier. It was yeah, interesting just with, just 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 with Simon Clark. My observation on Simon Clark would be is he seems to be a far better backbench MP than he was cabinet minister. In all honesty, and I think I'll leave it there in terms of. <laughs> That's <laughs> McLachlan, yeah, but what, what I would but but no, I completely agree in, in terms of the uh, the the U turn on on onshore wind. It's ludicrous that it was in that position in the first place. Just in terms of what John uh, would have would have said on the call, he his heroes for the year was uh, every single teacher across the UK, along with NHS frontline workers, and also rather cheekily, he's put Leeds United for not getting relegated. Then when we go on to the second question, which is the villains of 2022 which I actually believe is a far easier question than the first one around heroes. He went for some, some, uh, a couple of pretty obvious choices, which I won't expand upon because they're fairly self-explanatory. Vladimir Putin being one, uh, obviously, warmongering criminal. Uh, Liz Truss, um, criminal in office. And then the Leeds United <laughs> board um, for the way that they handled the sacking of uh, Marcelo Bielsa. Obviously, who's now now back in uh, Argentina, and uh, so so let's go on to, to villains of the year, and I'm 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 going to start with you, Owen, in terms of your villains of the year.
3: I suspect you've got a fairly wide cast list. Uh, yes, yeah, so although it sounds like I'm I'm overlapping. Uh, my villains: uh, number one, Donald Trump; number two, Boris Johnson; number three, Liz Truss. Those first two names—they've taken both global and national politics to an all-time low. You know, They've epitomised the very wrong reasons for getting into politics, where it's, they've been so driven by their own ego and their, their, their absolute desire for power, they've forgotten that they actually owe a public duty. And for the very mirror image of why I've sort of, I, I put Barack Obama up as my hero, that is why, where, where Trump, in my mind, takes global politics to an all-time low. And yes, it's really easy to sort of put uh, Putin at the, uh, um, you know, uh, at the at the, at the list of sort of like say international criminals and and villains. But he probably only did what he did because he 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 thought we had our eye off the ball in the West, and the natural balance had disappeared because we created just this this huge amount of sort of antagonism and infighting uh, back at base. So you know, I you know. To some extent, I, I put the war in Ukraine at the door of uh, Boris Johnson and Trump because they've created a backdrop to allow it to happen. And my third villain, then it's uh, uh, sorry, Trump should say not trust. My third villain being being Liz Truss, again epitomises the reasons why people should not go into politics, uh, or if they go into politics, okay, she had enthusiasm, and I, I admire that, but <laughs> you know, really depicted the reasons why somebody somebody should not go for the for high office. But sometimes people have to be self-aware of their own abilities. You know, just going in there trying to sort of replicate her hero, which is Margaret Thatcher, which she wasn't able to do, and just without you know, without working with her team, without working with the advisors around her, rushed forward We just and and left us all now picking up the pieces. So they I'm afraid they're my villains. Do you think, I mean, because again, this touched on what Katrina said right at the start of the call as well. Do you think that the way that
0: politics has been conducted, particularly uh, with the use of the media over the past two to three years, that that will somehow encourage people of a certain age to get into politics to sort of rid uh, uh, the the current establishment of the way that politics has been handled? Or do you think
3: that we're on for further dissent, Owen? I think we're on for further dissent. I mean, I don't understand why anybody would seek high office at the moment. It's been, it's it's been dumbed down to such a low level, and there's there's no upside. I think, you know, genuinely, I think when I was growing up and watching politics, I think there was an element of sort of moral integrity. People went, yeah, not everyone went into it for the right reasons, but there was enough people going into it for the right reasons. But we've made it so difficult for any normal person to enter, a normal family person to enter. It's not family friendly, you know. You 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 put a foot wrong in your sort of uh, previous life, or and it doesn't have to actually be wrong. It just has to be have the impression of being wrong. You, you you get chastised in the media if if people want to have a go at you, or even if you do things right. You know, there's with with what goes on online. You you just you, you just a really hard time. So, you know, where where is the incentive? You know, I I go a step further and say you know, there needs to be a radical shape up of how, you know, just in our country, how we run politics. First of all, pay the MPs properly. So, you know, I know it's very easy to say, oh, they get paid more than a nurse. Yes, they do. That's, you know, that means nurses are badly paid, but pay the MPs properly so you get the right calibre of people wanting to apply as a second career and and give them proper funding so they can run a proper back office and provide the service they're meant to be providing to the constituents. You know, and all I know all the scandals that came out, and I have a certain amount of sympathy because we didn't fund them properly. It forced them to go down the lines of doing all these sort of crazy things of employing the family. So, you know, as, as with most things, you know, if, if you set it up properly, people might succeed. And you want people who've come from a good background to think of politics as a second career where they can give some value add and, and not just look at it and think, how the hell can I survive living in London, um, you know, against against all that backdrop? Thanks, sorry. I mean, K- Katrina. Just just following on from
0: that, would you would you uh, would you would you go along with that in terms of your your villains, or have you got a, a wider frame of reference for 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 who you believe should be uh, proverbially hung, drawn, and quartered this year? Yeah, I mean, I think
1: you're right. There's so much choice, isn't there? in <laughs> In terms of villains, that was a much easier question, and yeah, I would go along with every single one of them, and I would also agree. It's you know, why would you go into politics? It's it's a, a hard place, and you know, they must destroy, leave families left by the wayside. You know, uh, it, it, why would you? Mine, mine's on a similar theme, actually. My my villain is um, Nicola Sturgeon, um, and Nicola Sturgeon is probably one of the best politicians in the country. Brilliant. There is absolutely no denying it. and the UK and she's she is also leaving families by the wayside because she she keeps bringing back women independence and she will not let it go she doesn't have a mandate for that and you know she's trying to make it all about independence um she's clever at it um, and I really hope at the next elections you know when she's thrown out there and said like this next election is you've got a you've got a vote for independence. We'll use that as a sort of proxy. I hope a lot of people don't vote for that because I know there's an awful lot of people in Scotland who didn't vote um, SNP because they wanted independence. They voted for it because they didn't have an alternative. They won't vote for the Conservatives and, and Labour had disappeared. So, you know, it was very much a different sort of voting pattern. They weren't voting for independence, but she's used that and abused that. Meanwhile you know, a lot of the country's going to pop, you know, we've got huge infrastructure deficits, lots of island communities totally and utterly left isolated by what SNP have done around ferries. I know this is very parochial to me, but it is, it frustrates me when she is, everybody, even my friends down here go, God, I wish we had somebody like Nicola Sturgeon, she's a great politician. And she is, but she's playing a really, really dangerous game Um. uh, and she is, trying to destroy families again and you know we all went through brexit but let's remember we had, we hadn't even barely got out of the independence referendum in scotland so there was a lot of um family splits broken friendships as a result of that and then straight into brexit so i just wish she would let it go now uh, it let us have a some time of stability um at least on that one issue so she is right up there as my top villain
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think the, the is interesting. You mentioned about the decline of infrastructure and the, the management of public infrastructure and costs associated, because that will be the subject of a future Bologna Advisors report and podcast, because that is uh, an increasingly recurring theme. So to conclude this one, then then John, who who would you go for and, and link into the main uh, deleterious themes of the year?
2: Yeah, I've I've got a bit of overlap with with Owen there. So one of my one of my two is um he's our friend Boris. So I mean, it seems quite a long time ago that he was in office, but it's only five months or so that he five months or so ago that he he finally stepped down. I mean, I suppose some people might might question whether he was really all that bad when you see what's come after. But I think you know it is worth reminding ourselves of some of the things that that he oversaw whilst he was in office. I mean, you know, everybody's got their own views on, on Brexit. I won't go into too much detail I'm too, too, too much detail in terms of my own views on that. But I think, suffice to say, um, all of the, the benefits that, that Boris talked about, I, I, I don't think that we're, we're seeing too many of them right now. Um, we've got the party gate scandals that, uh, you know, people quickly forget some of these things. We've just seen what's happened with Matt, Honk, Matt, Matt Hancock finishing uh, second or, or third or whatever he finished in in am uh, Celebrity. And it's easy to forget some of the things that that happened not very long ago. But, you know, Boris oversaw the, the, the whole Partygate scandal. We saw the, the issues with the Chris Pincher groping allegations, which he denied any knowledge of and then it transpired that he knew about them all along. Similar sorts of uh, issues with sort of the way he dealt with the Owen, Owen Patterson affair. And he was obviously found guilty by government, uh, by Parliament's standards watchdog to have committed a clear breach of, of lobbying rules yet he you know he still did all he possibly could to stand by him at the cover-up of, of how he was trying to secure funds for his what was it hundred and something thousand pound makeover of the, the flat at Downing Street and it, there were just so many things that, that happened on his watch and 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 Owen talked earlier about the, the phrase dignity of office um, and I think you know it, it's it's not a phrase that in any way shape or form you can associate with with Boris, sadly, particularly in the, the final year or so of his premiership. So yeah, he's he's one of my uh, one of my villains. And, and another another villain is um, Gianni uh, Infantino. So the uh, the president of FIFA. I mentioned earlier, I'm a I'm a footy fan, and again, a lot of people have got views about whether or not the World Cup should have been held in Qatar. From a footballing perspective, I'd say it was pretty high standard World Cup. Actually, and the final was obviously a, a great game, but. You know, should it have been held there in the first place? I certainly don't think so. Um, you know, there's all of the issues around the treatment of immigrant workers. There's all of the issues around discrimination and even violence against the, the LGBTQ community. And I just thought it really topped it off when, when he came out with that quote. I've written it down, the quote he came out with just before the World Cup, where he said, I know what it means to be discriminated against because as a child at school, I was bullied because I had red hair uh and he, he seems to be comparing that with some of the uh some of the things that got in gone on in qatar it just kind of underlines probably how uh, uh how, how detached he is from from reality and perhaps how fifa is from fifa is from reality yeah
1: i mean i was a of a ginger girl you know i was quite disgusted by the fact he was saying things like that
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah absolutely yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, I, I'm a I'm a fairly diplomatic character, um, uh, but I would go so far as to say he's a he's a complete buffoon, and that was probably the very worst media performance of 2022 that he gave uh, on the eve of the World Cup. But uh, no, I completely agree with you there, John. So now, then we've only got we've only got six or seven minutes. to Try and get to uh, my favourite bit, which is around the predictions for 2023. How on earth can we respond to these? troubled times in business and with our personal lives and uh, Owen I'm going to begin with you because obviously you, you you know put great stock in your ability to predict the future so what would you go for then in terms of why don't you think
3: 2023 will pan out well I guess I'll have to just ask you an open question first about whether you think you know my predictions of your future have always been correct so you can you, you can judge that and tell me later But. Um, uh, let let me let me just stick to my day job and talk about energy um i I could you know got my own views on on the property market where i used to be i used to be employed but i think there's 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 two big things on energy gonna happen um obviously you know people are very aware of it's just called the energy crisis um and I don't think consumers really understand how big the crisis really is when it comes to the actual cost of energy generation. The cost of energy generation have shot up stratospherically, and it's only just starting to feed through to consumer bills because of the way that um, some of those costs have been have been hedged. So a lot of people have been buffered to it, but, but with the sheer costs of, um, well, with fuel costs going up and all other costs going up, uh, that's feeding through. And I think that will actually just force the government for the first time in probably 25 years, to start getting a proper energy policy, um, because you know a, a, a lot of the problems we're having now is there just isn't the proper planned mix. That you know there isn't the storage. We've rushed forward with renewables, which has been great, but the only way renewables work is if you have the right backup. But the the, the right backup supplies aren't there. The right storage facilities aren't there. So I think what we'll actually see next year is the government finally uh, having to being forced. To sit up to its responsibilities and come up with a a real strategy that defines what they want to achieve and don't just rely on oh the market will will find its own level the sheer scale of energy investments the sheer scale in the in the, in the improvements we need to grid can only be planned centrally where they set out what they want and therefore rational investment decisions can be made um otherwise it just won't it just won't happen yeah, Electric vehicles coming forward will completely imbalance the grid and, and current infrastructure, which is, is currently just not up to the job. So, yes, yeah, se- seismic shift in the way we actually start planning for our energy future. Yeah, That's number one. And the second one, which actually slightly touches on on property, uh, another seismic shift coming. There's new regulations coming for rented property in 2025, which basically means all that property has to has to meet a certain energy performance standard. Um, and, uh, yeah, that is. Uh, that's going to mean a, a, a seismic shift uh, out there, which will really push the need for new rented properties to come forward. And that's probably balanced against a backdrop of uh, normal open market uh, house sales falling off just because of rising mortgage rates. So I think I think we'll actually see a major shift toward, towards uh, basically professionally built, professionally managed rental properties coming forward.
0: I think the, uh, your statement around your prediction around off-grid power is bang on. Off-grid power is here to stay, whether that's through uh, micro grids, uh, or whether it's through you know things like you know my, my old employer, hydrogen power. But we'll, we'll have to see how obviously that transpires. And yet again, Owen, you've predicted one of the uh, uh, future reports for next year that, that, that I'll be conducting. Um, John, in terms of your predictions for 2023, what, what, what would you say?
2: Yeah, I can actually a little bit of crossover uh, with, with Owen in terms of I've focused on the the sectors that the Arden operates within. So you know, um, town centre regeneration, renewables, utilities, and transport. So. Well, I, I largely agree with what I always had to say there about renewables and, and, and utilities—the two are sort of linked, really. So, you know, we're, we're going to continue to see. There's no doubt about it. We're going to continue to see developers wanting to to increase um, the number and size of, of uh, offshore and onshore wind developments in, in in the whole of the UK, particularly with this uh, this change uh, that's coming coming about uh, due to my hero Simon Clark. Um, and it's true with, with solar farms as well. We've seen a massive increase in the number of really large scale solar solar schemes that have been coming forward over the past couple of years. And I don't think that's going to slow down in any way, shape or form. Um, I think, um, sorry, <laughs> my dog's barking in the background. I do apologise if you can hear that. Um, it's the beauty of this home working, isn't it? Yeah, um, absolutely. So, yeah, I think, I think all of that's all of that's really positive because very clearly we need to, to see more renewable energy projects come forward quickly and when I talk about coming forward quickly I think we are going to ch- see, a, see a change in legislation next year the government's already signposted it to to, to ensure that, that the really major renewables projects so the offshore wind farms for example can be consented more quickly because at the moment whilst the development consent order process works fairly well uh, there's been a high proportion of schemes that have been consented it is a time-consuming process for developers Um, There's a lot of upfront work that needs to happen pre-application, and I think government are looking to try and see how they can reduce the the pre-application work that's required to speed up the the consenting regime. So I think that's something we'll definitely see next year. In in terms of utilities, clearly there needs to be a big push to make changes happen to the electricity transmission networks. Again, Owen's touched on that. I think next year we're going to start to see, I think we're already starting to see real government focus on that. The, The grid needs to be... It needs to be upgraded massively to, to enable the uh, all of these renewable projects that are in development and proposed, to enable them to actually um, to, to be connected. Um, and, and as Owen mentioned, the rollout of the use of electric vehicles at the moment, the infrastructure just isn't there to support it. And the reason the infrastructure isn't there as in charging points is because of, of, of the cost and the, the capacity uh, on, on the grid. So, you know, that we're, we're going to see real focus on that, which I think is, is obviously very, very welcome. In terms of transport, I think we're starting to see an increasing focus on, on sort of how people travel into and around town centres and city centres. So, I mean, the, the cost for me of getting into Birmingham, I'm 20 miles north of Birmingham, so for a, a 40 mile round trip uh, for, for parking and for uh, the cost of paying the, um, the clean air zone charge as well. Now, I, I do have an electric vehicle, as you know, but I, my wife still has a diesel. If I take hers into town, it's about a 25 quid cost for me uh, just, just to drive in and out of Birmingham. Um, so so clearly there's going to be more and more of a push for people to be using public transport, but we know that the rail network isn't up to it at the moment. What we're starting to see is more and more local authorities looking at, at forms of very light rail, ultra light rail. That might include um, vehicles that are battery operated. But I think as, as far as I'm aware, there are, there are 40 odd different towns and cities in, in England that are starting already to look at very light rail and ultra light rail projects. So I think we'll start to see a push on that, That the far lower cost than say tram schemes, which, um, you know, we've seen them work well in places like Nottingham and Manchester and, and Birmingham, but but they only really work in really big cities because of the cost involved. But, but very light rail, I think, and ultra light rail is something that we'll see more and more of, it's much lower cost. and. Um, it can be rolled out pretty quickly. It's, uh, it's not, not requiring a huge amount of uh, construction. So that's where I think the, the direction of travel is for, for transport.
0: Yeah, I mean, Owen, Owen and I worked on a VLR programme, actually, in Ironbridge, which Harworth are working yeah, with Emptial yeah. Rail and others to, to bring forward a so particularly good job there. Interestingly enough, though, John, I understood exactly what your, your dog was saying, which I think he was saying that uh, uh, Manchester City were going to win the Premier League this season. So thanks for his contribution there. It, it, uh, um,
2: it, you obviously didn't understand him so well. He was actually talking about England winning the Ashes. Um, we'll, we'll see about ah, the football, ah, so, ah, that, they, that's, definitely, that's definitely going okay. to happen. In the right. yes, well, it was... Yeah. It was it, it, it was it was sport related
0: anyway, but coming back, coming back anyway, uh, Katrina, you've got the last word on the subject. What would you say in terms of your predictions for the year?
1: I'll be really quick, um, but and I am a glass half full person, but I think we're just about to see the bottom falling out of the planning system. I know people think we're already there, but I think we are. We've got more to go, and I think we're going to hit rock bottom this year, which is a, which is you know a, a, a travesty in in terms of the fact that we're just about to uh, go well we are going through an economic recession we've got the energy crisis we've got so many challenges as a a country to where we really need the public sector to invest we need the planning system to work and i think we are absolutely about to implode um not just because the government can't get its act together and sort it out but i think also just in terms of the people working in the system are getting to that point of no return in some places and it is incredibly sad to say um we need the planning system to be working on all cylinders right now we need um a proper system of strategic planning across the country to to join the dots on energy on environment on housing on infrastructure and everything else and and we don't have it we don't have a system that's there to support us but more than that we've got a system that is wasn't maybe broken a couple of years ago when Boris Johnson said it was and it could have been fixed but they've really gone and badly broken it now I'm joy I'm st- I'm finishing with the real positive side of things
0: no that's right but no, <laughs> I, I I completely I completely agree with you no, I think that my main worry is on the future of local government actually capacity we're also funding I mean Thorough Council being the latest um, to in effect go into financial special measures with a black hole estimated at somewhere in the region of 450 million pounds following a series of um, I would say risky speculative investment bets over the past decade which of course in the first place was due to trying to plug income gaps so there, there is a certain irony there. Um, There's
1: a lot of others coming that way as going that way as well they're not alone. Yeah.
0: So no, no, we shall see. But uh, yeah, it's up to the rest of us to try and, try and make sense of the system and, 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 frankly, try and keep it going. In terms of John's suggestions, just in terms of his predictions for 2023, and you might recognise a couple of these. One was around the decline of Twitter, which I think is, you know, in terms of user numbers, that, that's already been seen over the past few weeks. He also believes more people will return to the office in 2023, which clearly will be a boon to those working uh, in infrastructure and hospitality and other related sectors and his final one he's written uh, he wanted to uh, meet bono for a pint in dublin frankly rather rather him than me on that one and um, so <laughs> thank you very much uh, all of you for your review of 2022 and 2023 uh, fantastic panel as ever uh, on the better world podcast um so thank you owen thank you katrina thank you Jonathan and thank you John for your answers even though you couldn't attend Uh, and all all that leaves me to say is have a fantastic Christmas everyone and a happy new year and see you all in 2023. Thank you everyone. Thank you. All the best. Bye. Happy Christmas. All the best.